Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. I'm genuinely excited today because we're going to be talking about a topic that's very unique uh, and with someone that knows a lot, a lot about uh, this animal. So that I'll, she'll tell us a little more in a second. But before, before I do that, let me just introduce you all to... E.C. Sot, behavioral researcher at Apopo, and she's in Tanzania right now. E.C., how are you doing? Good morning. I'm good. Good afternoon. How are you? <laughs> well, thank you. Good afternoon to you. <laughs> morning to everyone in this side of the world, and it uh, could be evening, morning, or uh, uh, yeah, afternoon for <laughs> a lot of people listening to us. So thanks for coming to the show. This is amazing. Thank you for having me. Well, before we deep dive into what you do and what your organization does, which is amazing, could you tell us a little bit more about, about yourself? Tell us a little bit more about where you grew up and how was your childhood like? So I'm uh, based in Tanzania in Morogoro, um, but I am originally from Germany. Um, I grew up in Heidelberg, which is a, a smallish town in the southwest of Germany, Um And, um, you know, grew up, um, always loved being outdoors and, 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 you know, always had pets. Um, but I did a lot of dancing growing up um, and horseback riding. So really enjoyed those things. Did school because I had to. <laughs> <laughs> We all did that, I guess. We all did. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and um, when I when I finished school, I, I I was a bit lost in in terms of what to do next. Um, there were many many opportunities, and none of them seemed particularly right. So I did a lot of internships and volunteering and travel. Um, and during my travel, did a lot of work with animals, um, and really you know discovered that that is what I wanted to do for a living. Um, so the, so then the I, love the love for pets, and you said that you had some pets. Yes. Were they like? Dogs, mm -hmm. cats, or you had other types of animals too? I and we mostly had cats. Um, you know, lots of my best friends had dogs. Um, but the horseback riding, you know, growing up in stables, you've got lots of dogs and obviously the horses and donkeys uh, around. Um, so yeah, um, all sorts. And I used to follow my cat around neighbors' gardens, um, which was a bit of an, an odd thing to do as a kid. Um, but yeah, you'd encounter all sorts of things there. Um, well, it sounds, like, yeah. it sounds well. It sounds like you've always had something like a connection, like a special connection, special bond with animals. Uh, do you remember something like a cool story uh, when you were younger um, that kind of started to give you some hints about? Well, this is probably something I should do the rest of my life. No, um, not, so not, not really. No, it was. It really. I came to. I. I you know, when I was very little, I wanted to be a vet. Um, and then realized that that, you know, comes along with, uh, having to put animals down and, you know, a lot of heartbreak and I was like, no, actually, I don't really want to do this. So, um, you know, I think having animals in my life always sort of fulfilled that need for me to not actually question it much further. Um, 
And then, you know, when I traveled, I, I and did all these internships, you know, I did internships in hotels and with the radio and um, all of that stuff. And it just wasn't right. Um, and I never felt like I was getting the same thing back that I was getting when, when you're interacting with an animal. Um, and, you know, traveling and seeing animals across the world in the wild was just so fascinating. And, and you know, of course, um, having that passion for it, you know, getting involved in conservation and, and you know, trying to do more there um, really was something that showed me that's that's where I want to go. I really want to do this full time um, and not just, you know, have it on the side. I- and it sounds like you not only kind of like the animals, but the behavior. I mean, you were very interested in in their behavior, right? Tell us a little bit more about that side of the, I guess, your uh, interest in, in animals in general. I think it's a funny thing because often, you know, when you have pet, pets, um, it's very clear to you when your pet wants something. Um, and, and, you know, when your pet looks at you a certain way and you're like, mm-hmm, it's time to go outside yes. or, you know, yes, okay, absolutely. you're getting hungry. Um, but actually it's quite, you know, pets can't speak human. So it's, it, it's quite interesting when you try and quantify these behaviors into something that, you know, is valid across species or even, you know, for, within a species. Um, so, and, and of course, you know, if you're surrounded by people who share your opinion, that's, you know, right. of course they right. have a personality, but then at some point you will meet people who are like, no, pets don't, animals don't have personalities and, you know, we should, we don't need to care so much and, um, they're so wrong. And they're, yeah. <laughs> <Clearly>. <laughs> <Obviously>. <laughs> I, I have a dog. I love animals too. So I'm biased <laughs> like you, but uh, yes. <laughs> they definitely have personalities. How can they yes. say something like that? Absolutely. Um, but that's, I think, where, where, where the science comes in. And, right. you know, like doing the, the job, doing it as a job is, you know, we're able to prove that animals have personalities now because, you know, really got, got down in the numbers and testing it over and over again and saying, well, look, here are the hard numbers. If you don't believe in the, you know, emotional, you're making this upside, um, then, you know, don't argue with the numbers. Exactly. Um, So I think that was something that, that, you know, going into animal behavior as a a topic really brought these two together. Um, I love to argue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, That's a good thing to have as well. You know, you're now arguing your point and your passion um, and, and, yeah, that just really sort of fascinated me. And I, you know, after school, when I took this time to travel and do internships, I, I came to university a little bit late. But um, throughout my degree, I never had a doubt that I was doing the right thing. Um, so what, that, did you, that, what did you uh, study? Where did you? I studied, um, I did a bachelor's degree in animal behavior. Um, so I did um, all my university degrees in the UK, um, in, in England, up in Liverpool, which is an amazing city. Um, and from that bachelor's degree, which was quite broad and it was more about, you know, how do we quantify animal behavior? How do we measure it? How do we record it and observe it? And, you know, what experiments can we do and everything that goes in with that. Um, I then did a master's degree where I studied, um, rhesus macaques, um, which are a monkey. They're, they're quite commonly used for research, for biomedical research. Um, if you've ever been to Thailand or Southeast Asia, you will probably have encountered them in the temples. Um, and I worked with these monkeys and um, trained them to look at different pictures to see how their attention to these images changes depending on how they were feeling. Oh, um, wow. And that was all part of developing a tool to measure welfare changes, to be able to pick up on when does my animal uh, start to not feel so well. 
and, and be able to tell that early enough so that we can... Based on the pictures uh, that they were looking at? Yes. Um, so basically wow, what we did incredible. is we showed them two pictures at the same time. And one of them was um, uh, conspecific, so another monkey that they didn't know with a relatively neutral facial expression. And the other one is a threat face. And based on how you're feeling, it's kind of, like it, we humans have this as well. Uh, it follows the principle of if you get up on the wrong side, um, you know, everything goes wrong that day. Yes. Everything, you know, from there, it's just downwards. And it's because if you are in that mindset, you're more likely to focus on these negative things and it just spirals from there. And we all have this and, you know, it changes between days, but if you know, if you are not able to get out of this spiral, your your welfare state will deteriorate. Um, well, that's and, what they're you know, saying that you're bringing up all these negative things to you, but you're not really bringing them to you. You're just the mindset, and then you're focusing on the things and making them exactly, exactly exponentially worse. Exactly. So that's what we looked at with the monkeys: is like, which of these pictures are you focusing oh. on today, and is it different tomorrow, or um, is it the same? And can we use that to? pinpoint when there's a change and can we use that to say out that something's happening here we need to pay more attention to this animal um and and do something now before it gets too late um so that was a really interesting project um and and you know very very interesting to work with a wild animal in captivity with these monkeys in captivity um and and you know clicker train them like they loved us because we just came in with these pictures and all they had to do is sit there and look at them they got lots of peanuts <laughs> and raisins for it um so for them it was just like a game that they would do with us and and you know it was very very rewarding work do you um, um do you feel like the more you study all these different animals the more you understand humans <laughs> is that they're like oh maybe i can extract this from them and now i have better understanding think, of me as a person or some friend of this or someone definitely i think there's a lot of concepts that you know apply across the board um you know understanding how our hormones affect us and you know how our cognition and, and intention affects uh, how we're coping with the world and you know what like what what does it mean to cope and when is it a good thing and you know when is that influence of having to cope all the time actually getting bad um, it definitely helps you understand. Like, I had situations where I was like, oh, this is why I like I to tidy up when yes. I'm stressed. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so definitely. Uh, I mean, my I, I used to work at a restaurant and my boss there used to um, call me an animal psychologist. Um, and, you know, um, there are so many things in our lives that we share with animals uh, and so many experiences that we share with other animals that, um, of course, there are um, things that you can, you know, relate to yourself or to people that you know. You know, the whole alpha thing. Is, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that, that could be a completely uh, new episode, uh -huh. right? I mean, we'll probably have to reschedule <laughs> another session for you to talk about that. Yes, but absolutely. Tell us, so after after you were studying these monkeys, um, mm -hmm. what brought you slowly to the position with a popo, and kind of what made that connection? So after I did my master's, I did a PhD, um, and there I actually went the opposite direction in terms of size of the animal and studied elephants. Um, and I was looking at um, safari tourism. So if you were to go on a safari in Africa and you're going out like in a big game drive vehicle and you're taking pictures, what does that do to elephants? Um, and is, is the number of tourism that is happening in the area, does it present a stressor? Is it, you know, can it be stressful if there's a lot of this happening? Um, so that was very different because it was with wild elephants. Um, so I didn't interact with them or try to train them. Um, wow. 
I was just out there observing what they were doing and um, tracking their movements across the reserve. I collected a whole lot of elephant poo for hormone analyses, <laughs> <laughs> um, a whole chest freezer full um, to look at their stress hormones um, and all of that. So that really was, you know, working like in, in a game reserve in South Africa and, and being based there and, and working with a wild animal in the wild. Um, but I mean, I think all of it came together with, you know, trying to do something that has a purpose and that, um, you know, is meaningful work uh, that results in, in learning something that can that can help in in some kind of way. And of course, like for my for my study degrees, it was very much focused on how can we help these species. Whereas what I am doing now is more how can these how can this specific species I'm working with now help us um, or help other animals. But yeah, I think that that's that's a theme that that was always quite present and something that was always personally important to me to, to have this purpose um, in in my job. Which that's which is kind of like what connected uh, us uh, with you and your organization. And you'll see everyone that's listening so mm -hmm. far. They're like, well, supply chain. Where is this coming <laughs> into play? And and it will. I mean, just give us another second. Uh, is going to take us there. And uh, so. And now a popo, right? So you went from the monkeys, you went to the <laughs> bigger animals, the elephants uh, in South Africa. And so you're getting closer and closer. Did you know at this time that you wanted to shift gears a little bit and start helping humans as opposed to animals or not yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, please go. From the beginning. <laughs> go, go on, because I would like to hear a little bit more about how that happened. I think um, I finished my PhD um, just about as like a little bit before the pandemic hit. Um, so it was a tough time to try and find a job. Um, so I was there and I, you know, I had my passion for, for Africa and for conservation and, and, you know, seeking for this position that fulfills some kind of purpose. Um, so in, in all my job seeking that I did, I came across the, the, the position of a behavioral researcher at Apopo. Um, and a popo for you know, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but no, um, please go is ahead. A, tell us more about what it is. So, we're a Belgian NGO, um, and we are um, mainly based, uh, our biggest base is here in Tanzania, where I am now, and we train African giant pouched rats for a whole range of humanitarian purposes. So we're most famous and known for our rats that are detecting landmines um, and, and other explosives. Um, a lot of this work is done in, in Cambodia, for example, but we are also working in uh, Zimbabwe. We have been in Mozambique, which is now landmine free. Um, so, you know, that was the, the, original, the original rat um, was detecting TNT. Um, and since then, over the past few years, Apopo added things to this because really what we are working with is training these rats as scent detection animals. Um, and they have an amazing sense of smell. Um, it's, you know, very comparable to that of dogs. Um, but our rats are a bit smaller and lighter. So for the landmines, for example, that means that they can safely walk across this field where the landmines are buried and they are too light to set any landmines off. So you know, instead of a human going in with a metal detector and the metal detector, you know, indicates every piece of scrap metal. Uh, it's, it's tedious work. Our rats are only going for TNT and they can happily walk back and forth and back and forth and back and They're forth. They're not in danger of exploding or anything like that, which is exactly. great. Dogs would probably set this line mines off as well, right? 
Yes, so we also work with dogs um, in, in areas that are more overgrown and bushy. Um, so, of course, for our rats, you know, we need to be able to access it with them. Um, but dogs are usually trained that if they detect it, they will sit um, near it, that, you know. Um, and with dogs, again, you're, you're very, very careful at keeping their body weight right. um, at, at that limit where they are safe as well, of course. So yeah. Well, so you 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 saw this uh, announcement. There were there was a potential opportunity there to work with them. Did you just immediately jump in? Did you talk to someone? I mean, how did you start it to shift your mindset from animals to rats? I mean, it's like another big shift, right? Mm -hmm. I think I you know obviously um, you know did a lot of research on the organization and and Glassdoor and. <laughs> of these things and you know trying to figure out like what, what can I learn and and where would I fit in um and and the position very clearly advertised for the innovation department which I'm a part of now um so um we have this active program with our rats detecting the landmines um we also have an active program with our rats detecting tuberculosis which until very recently was you know the, the biggest disease factor here in, in in the world and it's only been overtaken by covid um so uh, you know our rats scan sputum samples from from humans um and when they detect the bacteria um of tuberculosis they tell us about it they indicate it to us um so we how, are working how they, with how they indicate i mean do they i mean dogs sit you mentioned that dogs mm -hmm. sit next to the line mm -hmm. how how do rats tell you <laughs> Indicate. It depends yeah. on the project. Um, so our landmine detection rats um, will scratch the surface. When they detect a landmine buried, they will scratch on the surface. Whereas our tuberculosis rats work in a in a in a cage that Apopo has custom designed for this, where we have the samples placed in the bottom in little holes, um, and the rat evaluates one after the other by sticking its nose in the hole and sniffing it. And if it detects tuberculosis, all it does is hold its nose there for a certain amount of seconds. And then you'll so have the sample. Exactly. And then we go and double screen the sample. Uh, if we find it to be positive, we send it back to our partner clinic to then inform the patients and say, hey, you know, we've, you know, we've right. detected tuberculosis and then and, and that's it. And we can now treat you. So that's the other active department. Um, but then the innovation department and then what I applied for was to, I mean, for one, help these existing departments and, and do research into how can we make this even better and what else, you know, can we do to improve it? Um, but also what else can we do with our rats? Right. You know, um, what, what other options are there? We, you know, um, my boss is inundated with emails all the time about people suggesting things. Yeah, can you, can our rats do, can right. do. <laughs> um, and, you know, that there are a lot of projects that are running and that are up and running that, um, we're now doing this research on to see, you know, where where can we go next? Um, what could be our next program? Could you, could you share a little bit of those uh, projects, or I projects? don't want you to disclose anything that you cannot disclose. <laughs> but it sounds like they can do so much more. It's already incredible what they're doing with both tuberculosis and detecting landmines. But it sounds like they're smart, they're capable, they're curious. Yeah. You mentioned yes. Um, I think as long as something has a, a unique scent profile or odor profile, and we can figure out how to bring it to our rats and train them, they'll do it. Um, wow. You know, the challenge is really on us to figure out the best way to train our rats and, and, and support them um, in their learning. But some of the projects we are running um, and, and developing is, um, for example, training our rats 
to detect survivors in collapsed buildings um, following natural disasters. Um, so what you will find often is that, you know, the buildings collapse and you have these small little crevices that we can't really access. And what we envision is that our rats can access these. Um, we've got a whole high-tech backpack that they are wearing um, with a camera and tracking them and hopefully two-way audio and all these things to go in and tell us if they find a person in the debris so we can rescue them. So that's one of the projects. Um, and then we've got the next project, which is training our rats for wildlife detection. Um, so there's a lot of illegal trade of poached wildlife. Um, and a lot of this happens through international shipping ports and shipping containers. So traffickers will be you know, concealing um, ivory or rhino horn, um, pangolin scales, you know, protected hardwoods um, in those shipping containers and then trade them internationally. Um, and, and the idea is that, again, that our rats are small, we can send them into a packed container without having to unload all of it. Right. Um, and we're also exploring the opportunity for our rats to um, be lifted to the ventilation system of these containers and actually just sniff the vent and tell us there's something in there or not. So it removes the need to open this container in the first place, um, which would immensely help screening those, you know, billions of shipping containers right. that are going back and forth all across the world. And it's such a race to try and keep up with it and, and, and screen them. I believe a lot so of ports are already trying this, right? Oh, oh there he is. That's <laughs> perfectly fine. Who, who's that little guy? That's Maisie. That's Maisie. Maisie. Yeah, I've got a cat and a giant dog. I've locked so, one of the dog outside <laughs> um, in hopes that there wouldn't be any havoc, but there we go. Well, I, that just prompted another question for you, but it will probably derail us a little bit from where we're going. So I'll ask it later. Uh, Macy living among all those different rats. I wonder if that's <laughs> how that's working. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I, I've heard ports are actually using this because it's, it's very accurate. It's a lot cheaper to maintain, uh, I guess, a rat than scanning the containers. And I think that could be the future, isn't it? Yes. Um, so, you know, the existing methods to scan these shipping containers um, are X-ray machines, um, where you have the issue that, first of all, they're expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, they can tell you that the material inside is organic or not. Um, but, it, you know, if somebody, you know, traffickers like to hide stuff, so they will do things like um, sealing elephant ivory inside wooden logs. Right. Um, and, you know, it's kind yeah, of the x-rays really... would never really get it. Right. Exactly. And then, of course, you've got detection dogs, which are doing amazing jobs. Um, but, you know, they can't really access the, the vents of containers higher up. And then if you imagine a big shipping port where the containers are actually placed, often they're stacked on top of one of another, you know, to these like really, really high levels. So that's where we think our rats can come in and help um, and be added to, to that team, um, you know, to, to fill that gap um, and, and, and offer another, you know, way of screening these containers. Absolutely. And, uh, and a very practical way of doing it as well. I mean, I imagine at some point we'll have a lot of rats in the port, basically working nonstop, crawling around, trying to detect all this. They could also do yeah. it, I guess, with uh, drugs, right? And certain other materials. So if you're smuggling drugs yes. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we already know that our rats can be trained on TNT for the landmines. Um, and so far, what we've seen is that if a dog can be trained on it, so can a rat. 
Um, and of course, there are narcotics dogs, um, you have wildlife. You know, there's also a lot of human trafficking happening with these shipping containers. Um, so the opportunities are endless. Um, I think, you know, right now we're focusing on wildlife um, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. You know, a lot of this is also developing the methodologies of how to deploy our rats. How, how do we bring them into right. the port safely? How do we build something that then brings my rat up to this vent? Right. Um, right. Yeah. All of these things. How much time does it take to to train a rat from the time they're born, or and how how long does a rat live? I don't even. I'm like I'm clueless <laughs> when it comes to to rats, and you have really opened my eyes, and I'm sure you have opened everyone's eyes to the to, to consider rats in a different way. I think they have like a negative connotation in our society sometimes. Yeah. But it seems that they're amazing animals. And and they can be incredibly helpful. We could work with them uh, probably a lot more than with dogs, even. Yeah. Um, so the, the species of rat we work with is called the African giant pouch rats. It's native here to East Africa, um, and one of the reasons we work with them is because they have a long lifespan. So the average lifespan of these rats in the wild is seven to eight years, which okay. means once we've invested in you know training them for some time, they then have a working lifespan ahead of them. Um, and of course, that's an important point. You know, you don't want to invest all this time training them. And six months later, your rat, you know, dies of, of natural causes because that's just the lifespan of it. Um, they, they're called pouch rats because they, they're quite closely related to hamsters, actually. They've got these big cheek pouches that they will stuff their food in. So it's very, very <laughs> cute. Um, and um, yeah, so, so that's the, the species that we work with. Um, in terms of how long it takes to train them, it kind of depends on the project. Um, it also depends a bit on the rat. Um, we have rats that are super fast learners and rats that are average learners um, <laughs> or that take a bit longer. Um, um, you know, with the new projects, we don't know yet because we are still developing this. So a lot of it is, you know, we're coming up with this method and we're like, okay, I think training them that way is going to work. And then, of course, whilst you are applying these methodologies, you realize, oh, actually, this doesn't work right. and we need to change it over. So, you know, the, the, the end result is hopefully going to, you know, be one that's very effective. But right now we are developing this. So there's a lot of trial and error and um, also, you know, di different avenues and different groups of like, okay, here with these, this group of rats, we're focusing on this part and this group are focusing on this part. Um, yeah. It's it's exciting, right? It sounds like the the future is bright. It sounds that you, we haven't really uncovered much of what they can do. So the potentials out there, it sounds like. And I wanted to tell you, ask you a little bit about uh, three particular uh, characters: Barack, Ronin, and Carolina. How how can someone adopt a rat? Well, first and foremost, what who are they, and uh, <laughs> how can someone adopt? Why are you promoting this at all? So. Baraka, Rono, and Carolina are our um, adoption rats. Um, so the, these are rats that are out there and doing the work. Um, and you can adopt them by sponsoring them, um, which, you know, as an NGO, um, we, we rely on funding from um, government organizations as well as private donors. Um, and, and one way to support our work is by sponsoring a rat. Um, which you can do on our website. You go on apopo.org. Um, makes a great gift <laughs> if you, you know, want to surprise someone. Um, and yeah, and you can follow them along and get some updates on how they're doing and what they are finding and um, how they are helping. 
in your mind, and um, changing gears a little bit here, um, and of course we'll put all this note, all these comments and links on our on our note section, so the people that are listening to us and want to help you make a positive impact in the world, please go ahead, check it out. I've been to the website. The videos are incredibly interesting and very cute. And uh, why wouldn't you just sponsor a rat and then have that rat help uh, so many people around the world? So. We'll put all that so that people can visit your website as well. And hopefully we'll, we'll be uh, helping you as well. In your mind, what has, I mean, it's basically a project that you're leading. What do you think has been the biggest challenge launching such a unique application for, for our rats? I mean, what some of the things like have really been challenging? There are lots of different challenges related to different areas. Um, you know, one of them is that we are developing something completely new. Um, we haven't worked with shipping ports before so creating those relationships you know we've got some operational trials scheduled actually at the seaport in Dar es Salaam here in Tanzania so setting up these initial um not just relationships but also connect you know letting people um getting people to agree to let you into the port with rats right right (laughs) yeah sounds like we would like like to bring all of our rats in and then you know people like okay (laughs) yeah wait a minute so yeah um so that's definitely something that you know we we had to work on and that that was new to to me personally um um but you know luckily Apopo has worked with a lot of different government organizations in the past and um, you know, we are based here at the um, Sukhoi University of Agriculture, so we are integrated really well um, with the uni here, um, which, which definitely helps um, and, and is a great relationship that we have with them. Um, something else that I think is quite challenging is to try and think um, with, you know, the purpose of a sense of smell. Um, humans, we, we rely on our sight a lot, and of course we can smell, um, but it's not our primary sense. So to now come up with training and and consider potential problems of a sense that isn't our primary sense can be difficult. Um, You know, we have to, and our rights are so sensitive that, you know, even touching one thing and then touching the other means you could have brought over this contamination of scent of the molecules um, and our rats will pick up on that. And then you're looking at like, why are you? indicating this one it's not the right one. Oh, like, oh I touched it I've touched it yeah wow. so there are a lot of things that we are just not so primed and used to considering um and and that takes some you know getting used to and, and, and training and getting into the material of you know this is what you're working with now and you always have to think with your different senses um so that I never, that, never that, thought of that that seems uh seems like an incredible challenge to have because you got to train all this the rats uh, without you really being able to do it i mean you don't understand how deep their yeah. sense of smell is i mean we no. will never get it get it uh yeah that's no that's interesting well th- this i mean thank you so much this has been an amazing mm-hmm. interview. What you guys are doing is incredible. I definitely think that the future of uh, preventing some of these things and helping uh, people through surveillance and through uh, just landmines and tuberculosis and maybe tons of other potential applications in the future will be very impactful. So thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you for giving me the time to connect and talk. Um, how could our listeners connect to you and, and learn a little bit more about what you do? You can learn lots and lots and lots on our website. Um, you can learn about the different projects. You can adopt the rat there. Um, you, we're also on social media. Um, so you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, 
There's lots and lots of very cute content of our rats stuffing bananas into their cheek pouches. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you need to pick me up, um, and you know, also updates about our projects and how they are going. So yeah, that's the best way. Perfect. And um, so for you, you mentioned it before. I mean, sponsoring uh, one of these cute little rats is a really good way of helping. Well, how other ways could people out there help Apopo? Uh, you need the money. You need you need the funding to do this. And I think it's a very, very good return on anyone's investment because you're helping save lives, basically. So um, how, how else can people help you? I think just spreading the word is always a good one. Um, you know, you said it yourself earlier, rats don't always get the best rep. Um, so, you know, creating this awareness of actually they're, they're doing really good stuff um, is is a great thing, you know, to appreciate them a bit more, um, especially if we're, you know, thinking about things like our search and rescue rats. We've had some reactions of people being like, oh, imagine you in this collapsed building and, and trapped and now a rat turns up and your face is the last thing I want to see. You know? right. So just... Um, you know, just this awareness of this is what you want to see. Like, you know, you, you're not going to be dreaming and delusional. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing a speaking rat now. Um, you know, that, that, that awareness and just spreading the word and sharing our posts, um, that, that always helps. Absolutely. And uh, we'll definitely make sure to help you kind of promote and also help you in any other way we can, because this is an incredible organization. It has been a delightful conversation. And for everyone that's listening out there, just go to the website. Once you see these rats wearing the backpacks and, and the cameras, you'll see that they're a lot cuter than you imagine they'll be. And uh, cute or not, they're saving lives. So uh, let's definitely support if we can. Thank you, EC, so much. Thank you for everyone listening. If you enjoy conversations like the, the one we just had with EC, please be sure to subscribe. Thank you so much and have a good day. Thank you so much for having me.